I'm back one day later, but I'm ready to talk again. I, how are you guys doing? Uh, I hope you enjoyed yesterday's episode. This is the Unfounded Podcast. I am Chris Turner. I am your host, and uh, not much has changed uh, in the last 24 hours for me, but uh, for some reason, I feel compelled to get back on here and continue to talk. I had a lot to say yesterday, and like I said, it felt made me feel better, so I'm going to do it again today and see how it works. You know, um, Not that I'm feeling all that bad either, just... Anyway, you know, if you, you just want to do something. I like doing this. It's fun. Anyway, moving on. Um, we are going to continue on our topic of the seven deadly sins. Uh, today's will be sloth. Um, and, you know, I'm going to just kind of roll right into it. Um, I don't really have much else to say besides uh, the, the topic at hand. So uh, rolling right into it, sloth. Sloth refers to a particular jumble of notions dating from antiquity and including mental, spiritual, pathological, and physical states. It may be defined as absence of interest or habitual disinclination to exertion. In the Summa Theologica, St. Thomas Aquinas defines sloth as sorrow about spiritual good. Sorrow about spiritual good. Huh, that's interesting. I always find, like, the descriptions of these fascinating. Like, the way these, you know, philosophers, I guess this is mostly St. Thomas Aquinas, actually, or, uh, is it not Thomas Aquinas? I'm sorry. It's mostly. Who's the philosopher I'm thinking of? He's in here somewhere. Anyway, one of the uh, popes, I believe. Anyway, uh, let's continue on. The scope of sloth is wide. Spiritually, acedia first referred to an affliction attending religious person, persons, especially monks, wherein they became indifferent to their duties and obligations to God. Mentally, acedia has a number of distinctive components, of which the most important is effectlessness, a lack of any feeling about self or other, a mind state that gives rise to boredom, rancor, apathy, and a passive inert or sluggish mentation. Hmm. Physically, acedia is fundamentally associated with a cessation of motion and an indifference to work. It finds expression in laziness, idleness, and indolence. Hmm. I, I find a lot of, uh, I'm sure a lot of you guys have been experiencing this, these kind of symptoms in yourself over the last couple of months, right? This is really, really relevant, I feel like. <laughs> um, I'm realizing it as I read it, right? Sloth includes ceasing, the uti- ceasing to utilize the seven gifts of grace given by the Holy Spirit, those being wisdom, understanding, counsel, knowledge, piety, fortitude, and fear of the Lord. Huh, I never heard of those. The seven gifts of grace given by the Holy Spirit. Those are interesting. We'll have to table that. Such disregard may lead to the slowing of one's spiritual progress towards eternal life, to the neglect of manifold duties of charity toward the neighbor, towards the neighbor, and to animosity towards those who love God. Sloth has also been defined as a failure to do things that one should do. By this definition, evil exists when good people fail to act. Yes, and I like that idea. I think that's a true idea. Uh, like I said yesterday, I think life is a, a game of inches. It's about acting or not acting. It's about taking action or not taking action. I think some of the toughest decisions you'll come across in your life are the ones where you don't know whether to act or not to act, if you know what I mean. Um, It's weird. It's like uh, there's times in life, you know, I feel like in in many ways we want to simplify life. We want to make it into this kind of simple scenario where there's always a right path. You know what I mean? We want to make it easy. But it's not. It's not simple like that. A lot of times, it's so complicated that a lot of times there's just varying shades of decisions. You know, you, there's varying effects. So, like, you're going you're gonna to get, you know, you, you could get a myriad of outcomes, but none of them are really good. You know what I mean? I, I think that's more often how most decisions are laid out in the present. You know, when you're trying to contemplate them in the present, it's like, oh, shit, none of this looks good. All of this has some kind of consequence. You know what I mean? Anything I can see. And a lot of times looking for the for the option that has the least consequence is not the best option, right? Which is what a lot of people default to. It's like, just do whatever has the least consequences. No, <laughs> because you restrict yourself in a way when you do that, right? Um you got to risk it for the biscuit, right? <laughs> it's the only way you're going to, you know, you, it, it's kind of like if you're a gambler or something like that, you know, you got to you gotta pay to win. You know, you can't, you, you go in there playing with five bucks, you may win, but you're going to hit a losing streak at some point and you're not going to, you're never going to win big. You know what I mean? Like, 
you got it. You got to pay at some point to get the big bucks. And that's the kind of idea I think that's you can apply in life as well. Like you actually have to take some of those riskier choices at certain points in your life. And the hard part is you have to decide when it's time to do that. You know what I mean? It's like each of us individually have to decide when it's time to embark on the risky path, which one's the proper risky path. And it's a weird idea, right? The proper risky path. But choosing that thorny path, that's very important. Jordan Peterson talks about it all the time, right? Like you you choose those paths because you have to go through them. There are moments in your life, many of them, I would argue probably more often than not, you're running into decisions where there's a myriad of bad choices or bad paths that you get to choose. And they're just varying shades of gray, right? That's what a lot of decision making ends up being. And, and, And a lot of times the path that's has the least consequences is not the best path. Sometimes it is. You have to decide when that is, right? I think partially how you decide when that is is by following truth in yourself, you know, making sure you're not lying to yourself. And if you're not lying to yourself, the proper path will appear. You'll be like naturally attracted to it. You know what I mean? Because there's some kind of like, it's like you can sense that there's an outcome on there that is is right or just, you know, it may, it may require some kind of sacrifice that path, but it's just the end result will be just. So I'm willing to go through that thorny path. That's the one you choose, you know, but you have to figure that out yourself kind of a thing, right? Anyway, let's continue on. But I find it interesting that that idea right there, that evil exists when good people fail to act. I agree with that because if you apply that in your life in that context, you know, if you choose constantly just that non-authority path, that's what you're doing. You're failing to act. And you could consider yourself a good person. You may be well be, but you're not spreading that good into the world. You're not creating a better world because that's how you do it practically, right? Is by engaging with the people around you, right? Is by, by doing that like five second deed or taking those five minutes to do that good deed or whatever it is, right? Like whatever you deem fit to pull order out of the chaos of the natural world. Like you got to take those moments, you got to seize them, you know, when you don't act, and it could be, you know, you can expand that idea to anything in your life, really. You know, there's chaos in everything. There's entropy in the universe itself, right? And so it's like everything constantly wants to devolve into this chaotic kind of mush. You have to pull order into that, you know. And, 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 and that's, it's not a mush. That's not the proper way to describe it because nature is chaotic by, by definition, you know. So, like, that's a good example of chaos is nature itself, you know, it's un, it's unrestrained, but it's balanced, which is weird, right? It's like it, there is un, it's unrestrained because it is balanced. In a weird, <laughs> you know, let's let's move on. I think I'm getting off topic. Edmund Burke, 1729 to 1797, wrote in Present Discontents: No man who is not inflamed by vainglory into enthusiasms can flatter himself that his single, unsupported, desultory, unsystematic endeavors are of power to defeat the subtle designs and united cabals of ambitious citizens. When bad men combine, the good must associate, else they will fall. One by one, an unpitied sacrifice in a contemptible struggle. That is quite the sentence and the quote there. It's one of those like ones you have to read twice. Let's go ahead and read that one more time, see if I can get through it without stumbling. No man who is not inflamed by vainglory into enthusiasms can flatter himself that his single, unsupported, desultory, unsystematic endeavors are of powers to defeat the subtle designs and united cabals of ambitious citizens. When bad men combine, the good must associate, else they will fall, one by one, an unpitied sacrifice in a contemptible struggle. It's kind of a beautiful passage, right? Unlike the other capital sins, which are sins of committing immortality, sloth is a sin of omitting responsibilities. It may arise from any of the other capital vices. For example, a son may omit his duties to his father through anger. While the state and habit of sloth is a mortal sin, the habit of soul tending towards the last mortal state of sloth is not mortal in and of itself except under certain circumstances. Emotionally and cognitively, the evil of acedia finds expression in a lack of any feeling for the world, for the people in it, or for the self. It's kind of like a, nar- uh, not a narcissism, that's not right. It's a um, nihilism, almost, right, is the way I would describe it, you know. Let me define nihilism, because it's kind of a weird concept, I feel like. Um, the rejection or, uh, of all religious and moral principles and, and the belief that life is meaningless, right? It's this meaningless quality to life. Um, you find nihilism, I find there's a lot of, like, I find the modern materialist worldview if you if without the humanist component is very nihilistic it, it kind of tends to this like meaningless kind of explanation which is or randomness i i would associate randomness as meaningless 
that's kind of like we just changed the words there but that's kind of how we've described things in this nihilistic sense but anyway that's as this was described in a sense of sin Let me start over here because I kind of lost my place. Emotionally and cognitively, the evil of Asidia finds expression in a lack of any feeling for the world, for the people in it, or for the self. Asidia takes from as an alienation for the sentient self first from the world and then from itself. Although the most profound versions of this condition are found in a withdrawal from all forms of participation in or care for other or oneself, a lesser but more noism I don't know if that's a word. I think somebody misspelled that. Element has also noted by theologians. Gregory the Great asserted, There arise malice, rancor, cowardice, and despair. Chaucer, too, dealt with this attribute of acedia, counting the characteristics of the sin to include despair, somnolence, idleness, tardiness, negligence, indolence, and rawness. The last variously translated as anger or better as peevishness. Oh, kind of like, like a, you know, that kind of like touchiness, you know, the people that you feel like you're walking on eggshells around. That kind of like, oh, God, you're going to set him off at any minute. I've noticed that myself a lot. <laughs> All right. Uh, for Chaucer, human sin consists of languishing and holding back, refusing to undertake works of goodness because he slash she tells himself slash herself the circumstances surrounding the establishment of good are too grievous and too difficult to suffer. <laughs> yeah. Acedia in Chaucer's view is thus the enemy of every source and motive for work. So yeah, this is, oh my God, this is so, if you, if, if you're not already putting together the pieces of how this relates to the modern world, we'll, we'll go through it, but it's kind of, sh- it's shocking how relevant this is. I'm going to finish this off. There's only a couple more passages here. Sloth not only sub sloth sloth not only subverts the uh, livelihood of the body, taking no care for its day-to-day provisions, but also slows down the mind, halting its attention to matters of great importance. Sloth hinders the man in his righteous undertakings, and thus becomes a terrible source of absence or insufficiency of love. Some scholars have said that the ultimate form of acedia was spare from leads uh, despair, which leads to suicide. Huh. Wow, that's so fascinating. So let's try to unpack everything we just read in that, right? Because that's kind of crazy. Let me get a drink of my energy drink here. Hold on a second. Also, I don't know if you can pick up, but Dixie's probably snoring. It's fairly, it's not that early. It's like 1030, but she likes to sleep in. She's a princess, so. All right. Um, Let's see here. So, okay. So there's this idea, and this is, I'm going to go back to this, a quote from Chaucer. Human sin consists of languishing and holding back, refusing to undertake works of goodness because they tell themselves the circumstances surrounding the establishment of good are too grievous and too difficult to suffer. So the idea is being that there's just like inherent suffering in the world, which is true. You know, people can look into the world and you can see all this suffering. It exists. It's always existed, you know, in some form or one form or another. And when you see this, if you're not careful with yourself, if you allow kind of a nihilistic worldview to take hold, what you'll eventually come to is this kind of idea that there's too much suffering in the world and like the cost to create the good is too great. So why try? You know what I mean? And, and uh, that's, this is the idea that this eventually leads to people not wanting to work, period, move at all. You know what I mean? Uh, it's, it's kind of like the base if you wanted to distill down sloth, that's what it is. You know, it's, it's, it's how you get to it, essentially, the idea. And um, it's a dangerous thing because it, it, kind of, it can lead to despair. It leads you down to that black pit, that dark hole, that place where you don't see a light out or a way out. And it can lead to really bad things. You know, um, you don't, we are not, we are things made for movement. Like if the human being does something, it moves, man. You know what I mean? It just like, (laughs) like we don't, we don't sit static. You know, we're constantly moving. We're constantly looking and compartmentalizing things and measuring. And I mean, that's the other thing is like, we measure things. You know what I mean? We're addicted to this measurement of like, we got to make sure we know how, how much of something, something is. You know, in a weird way, we're like addicted to this. And it's like, oh, oh, measure. It's like, what is that? Oh, measure it first. It's like, okay, cool. You got the, you got a number that you made up on a stick. You know what I mean? It's, it's, you can, you can like start to delete these like structures we put in place that we depend on in this materialist worldview real quick. Like, especially if you start to go back to what Rupert Sheldrake was talking about in morphic resonance theory, that kind of, that the, the, the fundamental constants that most of these, these equations rely on aren't that. They're more like habits. They're habitual. That the universe changes over time. If 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 time is even a real thing, it's kind of all morphing, right? That's why time changes. 
It, it could be a real thing, but it's not in the way that we think about it, right? And so, and, and so the universe could change too. Like that's the idea is like, what if when you're sensing that shift in time that I've been talking about, like when you're doing something you really enjoy and you feel like the time stop, or maybe you're like, I don't know, like, um, I think the best way you notice this is when you like first notice somebody, like if you're really attracted to somebody, you feel this kind of like momentary, like, you know what I mean? Like where it's almost like, like in the movies, you know what I mean? Like when everything kind of slows down a little bit, that's why they do that. They're trying to recreate the feeling of it. And that's why they slow everything down. You know what I mean? Like they'll play music and stuff to kind of recreate the feeling, kind of put that emotion into you so you can kind of feel what it feels like. Right. But they're simulating what happens in real life in the movie. Right. But what's happening there is this time dilation or some changing, right? But what what if like everything else is also changing then? Like the fundamental assumptions in reality are changing. Like like the the the, the constants themselves are morphing with that time as well. It all kind of morphs as a fabric. Like everything is kind of a fabric. This kind of you know I know I'm talking way out there and I'm not supporting anything I'm saying, which isn't probably smart. But I'm playing with ideas and I think it's kind of a fun idea to play with, right? Anyway, I want to kind of try to take it back to sloth because I think part of the problem is um, in the modern day, there's this idea that uh, work is evil and, and inherently. Um, that we're, And I think it's, it's... I used to think this. This is why I assert this. Now, I don't know if this is true in everybody else, but I feel like in my generation or people that are around my age, there's this kind of trend. This idea that, ah, if we could just eliminate work, we'd be better off, right? I may be wrong about that. I don't know, but I feel it, right? And I felt it in myself, but it's something that I feel it was un- is a negative thing. It's sinful, and I think this is partially why. I just put this together. I'm putting it together now as we read this, right? But it's sloth, right? It's, it's this lack of action because it is when good people fail to act that like evil overtakes the world, right? It's a balance. It's a constant fight between good and evil. And when good people fail to do good acts, evil overtakes the world, right? chaos overtakes the world when you don't trim your shrubs back they grow out of control that's how it works you know what i mean there's a balance to this thing and there's metaphors through uh, all around you for it right like but it's it's this fractal quality right you can see these things and other things um and the other thing is like also ask yourself this i like i've talked to you know a lot of friends and uh family because i this is literally like i've said this is like all i do man like i just like think about crap like this which i know is a little crazy but and i also found that like i'm very like my my perspective is very rare (laughs) and it's not common which means i'm probably freaking crazy (laughs) you know but also like i kind of like that because it's my it's very unique to me right and i think everybody i think if we deprogrammed ourselves a little bit for lack of a better way to describing it i think each of us would have a little bit different perspective like this it's a little kooky if we let our freak flag fly you know what i mean but we're too uncomfortable with being different for some reason and that's a very dangerous thing this like calling the herd like you know what i mean like this 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 uh this like calling people to some like and you know what's weird is because I felt like maybe that's what we need. You know, I've talked about like a lot of launching ant colonies and stuff. It's like we need this vector, right? With this purpose or like a flock of geese or something, like how they communicate. And I, I, I still agree with that idea. But I also think that there's this evil manipulation of it happening. Where like, like, like we're, we're trying to use people's work, right? Their effort, their energy. And we're trying to orient them, but in a very insidious way to kind of, in a greedy way, right it's like we're, we're doing it for like for like for like worldly possessions you know the production of wealth itself you know like when the economy starts to move simply because there is a number game going on that we call the stock market uh, there's a problem there because you're not producing anything right like and, and and i know that's a very simplified argument but but essentially i think that's part of the problem is that these part of what we've done is we've made simple structures and when I say sinful, I'm not saying it because I, I'm like trying to preach. Again, I'm not saying it because I think that there's something um, more correct about the Christian perspective. I'm just pointing out, I think these are true. Like every religion, no matter what, would agree that these kind of traits are not good in people. And if you combine all of these, it creates some idea of the ultimate evil, 
right? And so if you agree with that idea, then we should probably try to avoid these in our institutions or at least disincentivize people from acting in these ways inside our institutions. Problem is if you don't actively do that, right? Good people don't act. Then what happens is evil people overwhelm those systems and overtake them and corrupt them from the inside out. And that's exactly what has happened from every institution or organization that I've worked in thus far. Most of them. It's hard to not recognize this. Now, the only one that I would say from that is probably the U.S. military, right? And the reason I would say that is because it's a very defined structure. It knows what it's doing. And you also very intentionally sign away a lot of your freedom in that structure, which makes it much more controllable. It's an intentional thing. You know what you're doing. You know what you signed up for. You're a lot more controllable because of that. But it's also like you get a lot for that as well. Right? There's a lot of security that you don't talk about in the military as well. There's a lot of things that is handled for you. There's a structure that makes you very comfortable. And there's also this camaraderie that kind of makes you feel uh, whole. Like I think like you have purpose, right? Greater purpose, vector, like I've said, right? But it can be dangerous. Obviously, it can be, it can be leveraged in violent ways, as you see used in the military, right? I'm not necessarily discon... Like, I, I think the military has purpose, and it's necessary. Again, I don't, I'm not sitting here saying we should eliminate the U.S. military. I was part of it, right? It definitely has a purpose and it's necessary. But I'm also saying that like you can use when you align people like that, when you take away people's freedom, right, then you and you control them and you, you can vector them that way. You can use it in really negative ways, violent ways if you want to. And people will do it smiling. You know what I mean? They'll ask to be to join. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, you can get it, it's and it's it, it, we have to be careful with this because I, I think. Part of part of what's happening in a lot of the structures that aren't the military, right? Like in the in the economy, when you talk about, I think there's a size problem with most most uh, let's say companies themselves, regardless of the industry. Um, when you get past, and I don't know what the actual size is, but I think it's fairly small. I think it's got to be like past a, a large social group, so maybe like thirty or forty people. If an organization gets bigger than that, I think you start to run into s- seriously fundamental problems with communication uh, and implementation of those uh, values because there's no like enforcement arm implemented within each of these structures, you know, designed into like the company itself to say, like people would say like HR is the enforcement arm, but HR doesn't necessarily, it doesn't enforce ethics in the way that we think about it, right? It doesn't, it, it, it can't. You know what I mean? It, 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 has to, it has to still like, if it's, it, it can only enforce a regulation Right. And so if there isn't something written down, then it can't enforce it. Or if there's no law violated, it can't enforce it. Right. It can suggest something, but like an HR arm, does, it's not a, it doesn't have a punitive uh, uh, extension for ethical violations, which is part of the problem is a lot of the violations that we see inside these kind of institutions, organizations, when they get to this size are ethical ones because there's not enough constraint. It's kind of like, hey, you leave people, you say like, hey, honor system, act in a good way. And people are like, oh, okay. Right, uh, but then uh, some do and some don't. But if you don't and you get ahead for it, you get rewarded for it. Then it kind of incentivizes people under them to kind of do the same thing, or even worse, the people that are now being promoted into the, like decision-making positions in that structure are going to promote most likely people that are like-minded, right? Because it justifies the way that they came up, and it solidifies it in a way where they can't get in trouble for it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, it's a very negative, you, you, like when I say good, you know, by de- evil exists when good people fail to act. That is very true. You know, we, we fail to intent, in, put intent into like the organiz- the documents that organize these things and actually structure them in a way that they can enforce ethical violations uh, so that people are at the very least are not incentivized to abuse uh their relationship with the company or other people or other organizations in a way that would um, undermine commerce, which is precisely what I think has happened in a weird way. A lot of like one of the, I think the logical ends to capitalism, like unfettered capitalism, right? Uncontrolled capitalism is this, Um, you know, we all know that if you don't, if you don't have some kind of monopoly, you know, protection in place, some kind of antitrust protection in place, what you get is standard oil, right? What you get is one company that owns everything essentially, right? Or could own everything if it was left to its own devices. That's what we have to avoid in a cap. That's, that's one of the things we have to avoid in, in a capitalist system, but it's this, it's this 
I mean, honestly, when you look at those one of those companies, if it, it eats everything around it, you know, what I mean, it starts to look like it. I think there's a size problem. You know, I, I'm getting off topic here, and I, I don't want to focus much more on like the economy and stuff like that because I don't think it's as relevant right now necessarily. It is relevant, but in terms of sloth, um, it's just I think that people need to move, and and I think if you ever test this in yourself, like, have you ever sat at home for three days and not done anything? I have, and it's not fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I mean? I'm sure you've done it or something close to it. Maybe you've watched TV for two or three days, especially recently. Right? You'll notice in yourself, you get this feeling, this itch, this urge, like, oh shit, I gotta get up. I gotta do something. Let's find something to do. We gotta do something. Like it's this innate quality to the human being. Movement, move, move, move. You know? That is a that's why I think sloth is a sin, because you're forcing it. You are actively deciding to be that way when you're doing that. Because it's a natural state. It's almost like the opposite of of like lust. You know, you're like denying your primal you're like unfettering your un releasing your primal self, you know, allowing, allowing, you know, your love to go unrestrained. It's the opposite. It's like, you're not allowing, you know, the natural drive and human being that makes it the thing that organizes, brings uh, structure out of chaos to do its thing. You're, you're pushing that down and you're, you're making yourself into something that is effectively worthless, right? Which is, which is sinful because you are, you do have intent like i said before like I, tr- I strongly believe that like part of the evil in the argument of the modern perspective i think this materialist perspective uh and honestly uh, uh, part of the problem in kind of the more p- liberal political argument is this like if you start to pay people money right if you give them a bunch of money uh and like for instance i'm gonna give use my me as an example right like i'm on unemployment right now because i left Amazon uh, about nine months ago now, searched for a job for about seven months, was doing DoorDash while I was doing that, and having my parents help me support me at that time too because I couldn't make enough money in Denver to support myself. Too expensive, right? Um, something I should have thought about before I left Amazon, right? Big ups on me and thank God for my parents because I would have been fucked. Like, you know what I mean? Like, no shit. Um, like, I, I don't know what I would have done without them. They bailed me out. And most people don't have that. You know what I mean? And it's partially what, 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 you know, the reason I brought it up is I had been looking for a job, struggling, struggling, struggling to find a job. And all the while, like I said, was avoiding applying for unemployment or anything like that because I didn't want to abuse the system. You know what I mean? You know, even to the point where I was you know, my, my parents were willing to help me out and honestly put themselves in a, a worse position before, you know, they never even asked me, like, why do you employ, uh, apply for unemployment? They're like, no, we're going to help you out, kind of a thing. And so and there's, this, there's this idea that when you give people something like that, you start to take away their need to move, then they're going to stop moving. Well, I don't agree with that completely because you have to choose to do that, right? And I don't think most people have, you know, like if, if they're honest with themselves, want to not move. You're going to find other things to do. Now, the problem is a lot of people are going to, though. You know, like a lot of people, I think, won't know what to do. So they're going to just stop moving entirely and choose this path, the slothful path. And I think that's partially where you, you can see examples of this and kind of the logical end to that in, you know, like late stage communism in Soviet Russia, like I explained in last episode, where it's hard to get people motivated. It's hard to get them to do anything. You can give them jobs still, like have them, you can give them a job, but they're not going to do anything, you know. Uh, and, and it's because they choose not to, too. You know, it's like maybe... Maybe if they had some sort of hope, right? If there was some kind of way they could differentiate themselves or have some kind of individual identity, but that's been zapped from them in these systems, right? You're not an individual in those kind of systems. You're, you are as valuable as what you put in, you know what I mean, to the system. And when you don't put anything in, you're not really that valuable. So you see how it even like doubles down on this like despair. You know, It's a very dark, dark system. It doesn't seem like that on the surface, though. It's very enticing. It's like, oh, because the idea is altruistic, it seems. Let's let's provide for everybody. You know what I mean? Like, let's make sure that we, you know, that people aren't suffering unnecessarily, which is something that I think any reasonable, logical, and moral human being would agree with, right? But at the same time, 
it's like this difference between the ideal and the implementation. As soon as you move to implementation of that, because it is kind of an ideal, you know, we don't want, we don't, like I said, the, the idea that to eliminate as much suffering as possible is not an ideal, but the idea that you could actually delineate when we were at that point is. <laughs> right? So it's like, you still, it's still a problem, you know? And we don't, we don't know. We have no way to define these things, you know? And so inevitably, the people that do have like this innate sense to move or choose to move in these systems that want to set themselves apart, that want to have an individual identity, I think are corrupted, unfortunately, because there's not a proper place to do that. And they're not provided an outlet inside of like a communist system, like inside of Soviet Russia. There's no way for you to be an individual and express yourself. So if you are somebody that wants to do that, you have to skirt the system to do it. You have to move in insidious ways. You have to steal power, things like that, right? You have to play games, political games, dangerous games. And that's what you see happen. You see groups of people kind of play these really dangerous, you know, uh, second, like, you know, kind of political games, backstabbing kind of games where nobody trusted anybody. You know what I mean? And, uh, and then the people that chose to not move just, like, deteriorated. It's like the whole populace deteriorated, you know? And eventually it led to a kind of like, you know, a, a, a revival, you know? I think there's like this wave quality to it, right? You can go back and forth. Anyway, I'm talking all over the place today, right? Hopefully it's still interesting. <laughs> we'll find out. I don't know. Like I said, I don't listen to it. I just put on the music, which is also interesting. I don't know if you guys notice this. Like my mom comments it out quite a bit because she listens to the podcast all the time. Uh, shout out to her, but um, that, you know, and I told her this, like, I don't, you know, I don't like listen to the podcast before I post it. And I don't like measure out the audio usually. Like there's some points where I have to at the very end to kind of make it line up right, you know, for like the intro and the outro, but everything in between, I just kind of like, you know, oh, this song sounds nice. Or it sounds like a mood that I was in when I was talking and I'll put it in and I'll kind of let it go where it fits, you know? And then I post it and I listen to it. And what's so weird is like, it tracks like a lot of times. I don't know if you guys notice this, but like a lot of times it's really eerie. Like it'll like some of the transitions will track like almost directly on when like my mood changes in the in the podcast. And I just found that fascinating. So anyway, track on that if you haven't been like see if you notice that in the last in the episode you listened to because it's a really curious kind of thing. Uh, I've been noticing my mom's been commenting on as well. Anyway, um, uh, but you don't want to not move, man. I guess is my point. And, you know, I, I thought I was going a different direction when I initially brought up that, like, that, like I said, when I was starting to bring up like the more liberal political perspective that, that moves to kind of in this altruistic idea of, of providing for everybody wants to kind of, I think, eliminate suffering is the fundamental, you know, assumption um, or, or attempt. But this is why it's, it's kind of, it fails is because it leads a l- many to sloth and those that, you know, in our system, you know, it may be different because it's not like we're going to, you know, be Soviet Russia or anything like that. But, you know, let's say we give everybody $4,000. There's still going to people be people that, you know, want to stand up, set up, you know, set themselves apart. And that may that guarantee you that will still happen. The problem is there's going to start to be like a separation, most likely. It'll be like a separation between people that are actually active, people that aren't. And like what happens to the people that are slothful? You know what I mean? That choose nothing because like they can still survive. You know, but what if those people aren't providing anything? Like, also, like, how does that incentivize everybody else? Because the people that are trying or are actually going out and, and working and stuff like that in that kind of a structure, like, if everybody else is getting $4,000 and they're sitting around doing nothing, like, why would they work? Like, why would the other people work? You know what I mean? Like, it, that's, I, I, I think a lot of people, the more that that happens, the more that you see people not doing anything, the more you're like, okay, why would I even want to? And it kind of it lures you into this sloth that you can get stuck in. It's kind of quicksand in a way. It's insidious. It's evil. It's a sin. You should avoid it in yourself. I find I, I, this one's hard to avoid. Like I said, in modern day, this is super hard to avoid. With all the, you know, you're locked inside. So what do you do? You know? <laughs> That's why I think for the last couple of months, I've been talking more about like discipline and structure and kind of one foot in front of the other. Like just finding something, you know, five, you know, if something takes five minutes to complete, do it right now. You're not procrastinating. Those kind of ideas because... That's really how you keep yourself sane. That's really how you keep yourself from leading a really n- nasty life <laughs> when you're when you're in these kind of positions. That you're not. It's not going to make you feel good. I promise you. Sit around. Like I said, you can try all these things in yourself. You can try to apply all of this. Let yourself go. Be greedy. 
you know be gluttonous eat oh overeat see how you feel you know what i mean like lustful lust for something and see if it's ever quenchable you know what i mean be slothful lay around for three days and see how you feel you don't have to like you don't have to believe these things you don't have to if if it's like i said if it's the uh if it's the the religion themselves that it's coming from you know then just test it you know if you if you feel like maybe this is just like some foo-foo stuff that was written down in a book and, and, you know, people are trying to scare people into acting a certain way and there's some kind of control mechanism behind this because there's a structure that wrote it at some point. Like, hey, fine. Would you agree to test it in yourself and see if, if you were to lay around for three or four days if you actually felt good? You'd have to be honest about that in yourself as well. Maybe you do. If you do, good for you. Go for it. But also, like, what are you providing to the world? You know, you get, it's, you're going to have a real hard argument there. <laughs> you can try to argue for it, but no, you're not going to be able to. A lot of people have tried to, right? This is why these are identified as inherently evil things. There's no arguing for the good in them. They lead to more evil. You need to take a breather for some reason. Yeah. I feel like at the end of your life, you want to look back and, and be able to say that the energy you expended was well spent. And I think one of the hardest problems we try to, or questions we try to answer is how do I spend my time? You know, we refer to it as time, but we're really, really what we're doing is energy. You know, how am I going to spend my energy? What am I going to convert my energy into? You know, I could, you know, and that's really the question that if you think about it, you're plagued with from you know, the earliest time like what what do we ask little kids you know when they're what do you want to be when you grow up you know we're already trying to prod them with that fundamental question what do you want to be when you grow up what are you going to do what kind of value are you going to add you know what i mean why do we ask that of our children why do we want them to grow up and be something why do we wish for better lives for our children than we have where does that come from is there a practicality to it or is it simply just randomness I think these are areas where, like, the spiritual and the like the, the material world, like, bridge. I think there's a purpose to you. One of the mysteries of life is figuring out what your individual purpose is. Sloth is a sin is because it, it, it hides that from you. It entices you with comfort. You know? Don't move. Be safe. Be comfortable. Don't expend energy. You know what I mean? It's tempting, but it's not the right choice. It's the least prickly, the least thorny of those paths. And I'm suggesting that right now, there's a necessity to choose thorny paths. For everybody. I, in a weird way, think, and I've, I've said this a couple times, I think, before, that 2020 signified is a very significant time frame, the grand scheme of things, like the big grand scheme of things. There's some kind of change happening now. I think at the, at the simplest level, it's like we're moving to a more chaotic time. Now, that may, most people hear chaos and they think, oh, crazy, but think of chaos in nature. You know, like think of an overgrown forest. You know, think that think you have to think of like wildfire as part of nature as well. We don't because of our timeline, our perspective. We look at wildfire and we're like, oh, but it destroys everything for twenty years, so it's not good. I'm not gonna be able to go in that forest for twenty years. Well, yeah, but if you know the Earth's like what five billion years old or something, or the Sun's five billion years old, like really, like that's not even. I mean, that's so minuscule in the time frame of everything that that's literally like it's nothing. But the growth is the substantial thing that's there more often than not, not the fire. It's the, the fire is the exception to the rule. 
But we run from the fires if it's not necessary. You know? Fire is necessary. You got to like embrace it in a weird way. It's part of nature. There's a certain part of nature that is destructive. It's necessary. <laughs> you know? There's no better way to put it. It's, it's fundamental. If there is anything fundamental. But our questioning and trying to eliminate that suffering is kind of a seeking of a certain sort of comfort. An existential comfort. That I think is, is very, very, is probably what's tripping up a lot of people now that I look at this and read this right now. I've noticed this in myself over and over again. Over the last, there was a there was a there was a part in there where it was talking about um, anger and resent uh, being like kind of touchy. You know what I mean? And I've 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 been like that for years. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's it's and, and I I know why it is now. I feel like I've I've done a good job now recently at least of kind of releasing whatever that was. But it was something that I was really holding deep-seated anger about. You know what I mean? And it wasn't really what I was building it up to be. I think a lot of people carry away that carry around that kind of baggage and we feel it, but you actually feel that emotional baggage as weight. It's a weight. Like you actually will feel lighter when you let those things go or you talk about them or whatever you need to do. You kind of have to figure out what you need to do individually to solve that. It's not like one easy answer. A lot of times it requires a mixture of everything I just named talking to other people, yourself, opening up when you feel comfortable, maybe having a spiritual moment, maybe not, but it's up to you. You know what I mean? Maybe meditation, whatever. But figuring out where that, where are these like negative emotions when they pop out of you really bad way, in bad ways, like what's that, what is the root of that? You know, don't let those things just come, go. Like watch that shit and be like, where did you come from? Where's that? Why is that there? Why am I mad right now? Why am I saying what I'm saying? Have you ever been in a relationship or something like that? And you get two people arguing and you can literally watch them argue about two separate things or like they're arguing, they're arguing about a different thing, but they're like the, the conversation is about a completely separate issue. You know what I mean? And you can see that they're just holding this resentment. They're holding on to this anger, this deep, and, and they're allowing it to be released in this really unhealthy way, you know? They're trying to cage it in, and because of that, it's just trying to escape. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're trying to cage their anger, and because of that, it's trying to escape in really nasty ways. It'll pop out of you. It'll kind of take possession of you at times. And it's it's really, if you've ever seen somebody that has an anger issue, it's scary as shit. I've had serious anger issues at times, and it can be scary as shit because you watch people lose control. It's like a possession. You know what I mean? That's You have to figure what that comes, and it could be, it doesn't necessarily have to be anger. You know what I mean? I think any of those kind of, you, you can... You can have, maybe it's a, you know, it could be, maybe you just feel this really strong urge to do nothing. You know, you start to feel this nihilism come over you. You feel a lack of motivation. You want to be slothful or whatever it is. Well, maybe that's because you aren't doing what you need to be doing. Maybe because it's, you know, it could be a lot of, I can't define that for you. You got to figure out what it is, but you don't let that go, right? Don't let that feeling go. Analyze it and figure out what the root is because that's where your solution is. Choose that thornier path. That's where the reward is. Don't just go with the least dangerous of the options, which is to like push it down, ignore it, and hope that it goes away. You know what I mean? And every single, like everybody does this constant. We all do this, right? And it causes, it leads us to say things and do things that we do not mean, right? And I think it causes more pain than it, than it, than it saves, you know, in a really tricky way. It's kind of in the same way that I think we we have too, we're too audacious in our view of how, of our of how we interact with this thing. We think we have more control than we do. I think we have a certain sort of control, but it's not the kind of control we like to assert. As if we could try to eliminate something fundamentally from the structure of nature itself, like suffering, right, right, like death, like we're trying to do with these viruses and stuff. Like you can't do that. And when you try to, you automatically place yourself in a sinful. I would argue the most egregious of these sins, a prideful place where you're confusing yourself with something much more powerful, right? And much, and something with a lot more capacity than what you have, which is just, it's so audacious on its surface, it's hard to describe. 
But the problem is, is like we've been lulled into thinking that this is the only way to view things, this material perspective. And because of that, when you view stuff on the TV and you view people up, they're experts saying they know what they're doing, you know, giving you things as if it's fact and then later retracting it because they were 80 or 90 percent wrong. Right. Like these are the kind of like this is this is how you create more suffering than you solve by confusing yourself with something that you aren't and trying to meddle in things that you have no control over. You cannot eliminate suffering. You cannot eliminate death. You can argue that you're just trying to eliminate this virus, but you're not because you're trying to eliminate the fundamental distilled idea is suffering. So if another one comes up, it doesn't matter if it's named coronavirus or whatever it is, you're going to try to eliminate that too. You're trying to eliminate virus itself. And if you supplant virus for just suffering or death, which is really, that's really what's going on. You have to distill the idea down. That's an evil thing. It's at least chaotic. <laughs> I don't know if it's necessarily inherently evil, but it's very chaotic. This, I think it's evil. It's defined here as, pri- I think it's prideful. We haven't read that one yet, but I, I'm willing to assume before we go into the prideful that it's, it's aligning pretty, pretty well. Let's go ahead and find the... Uh, the seven virtues. Let's see what the opposite of sloth is. Curious. I like doing the opposite because I get like I like I'm very and also guys like I, I'm sorry if these ever feel like very like pessimistic because like I have this real like if you couldn't tell like I I, I have like a big like shadow side <laughs> and I have to I, I I wrestle with it a lot right and so like the the. I can. I tend to be by default if I allow myself to just talk very pessimistic. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and it's because I have, for some reason, like this dark fascination from that shadow side. I think with with this kind of stuff. But also, like, I've been trying very intently to balance myself out because that isn't me. You know, like I'm not entirely. I don't believe that the world is evil or that it's all negative or everything's always going to go in a negative light i just think that we are in a really weird place where that is such a rare perspective i almost have to always be contrarian i always have to i always have to provide the opposite perspective because it's like the whole world is sitting here pretending like nothing's happening you know what i mean or like playing this like game as if we are actually you know it's like, a, it's like watching a kid, it's like watching a toddler in one of those like little cars, you know, pretending that they're driving. That's what I feel like we're doing right now. We're like, look at me, look at me. You know what I mean? And we're like pedaling as hard as we can, you know, and we're like, yeah, but you're not really doing shit. You know, you're not really, you, you can pretend like you're driving a car, but you're not driving a car. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and if you try to take that sucker on the freeway, you, you confuse yourself with a real car, you're going to kill yourself or somebody else or, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what we're doing. Effectively. <laughs> Don't you see it? It's almost comical. Like it's I, I, it's hard to not laugh sometimes. Anyway, let me tell you this story before we go into the seven virtues because like I actually I had to search for the reasoning uh, why I got kind of a little wrathful or angry <laughs> yesterday because I do I get angry I, I started to get a little angry at um, a lot of the restrictions you know like I uh, yesterday I was at my buddy's house again we were, uh, me and uh, two of my real good friends that I worked with for a long time at Amazon uh, I hadn't seen one of them in a long time and my other buddy I go over quite a bit we do the hot cold therapy I've talked about him before um, we wanted to do that we kind of had a little barbecue yesterday and we all got together and that it was a good time it was kind of good time catching up and stuff but uh, we wanted some we didn't have any beer and we were going to do the cold spot uh, the cold tub too so we were going to get some ice and so I went out to get some ice but like I told you before, like I'm not, I've been, haven't been rocking the mask or anything. I don't carry one or anything like that. Like, cause and I've gone through why, right? Um, so I walk into this freaking little hole in the wall store and I walk in, like not just mind my own business. I'm walking around and I just hear this guy from the background, like, Hey buddy. And, and he like, or no, no, no. He didn't say buddy. He said, Hey boss like that. And I, I like look, turned around and looked at him like, and he like pointed at his face and he had one of those like douchey bandanas on, you know, like all the guys that want to look fucking cool wear. And I just like nodded him like, oh, okay. And I walked out <laughs> and I just turned around and went right, right, right back to his house. And like, they're like, where's the stuff? And I'm like, dude, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to support 
his place. I don't I don't give a shit if he wants to what he wants to do. He doesn't you don't talk to people like that. You don't treat your patrons that way. You can enforce the law if you want, right? But I assert 100% that it's unconstitutional. It's not for you as a business to enforce it. But if you want to enforce it, I'm not going to buy your shit. And if you want to do that right now when the economy is in a very like bad place, you're op- you're stupid. So continue to treat your customers that way and see what happens, right? Anyway, so you see how I'm already getting worked up just talking about it? It's a problem. I'm trying to figure out where that's coming from. But like, I think it's a frustration with... Uh, the overreaction like I didn't realize how bad it was it's like a frustration with people it's like wake the fuck up you know what I mean like what are we doing here you know and anyway let's let's move on I'm gonna put that down sorry guys I'm using really using this one as a vet session I guess Uh, I hope it's worthwhile when I listen back to it we'll see drum roll please Um, (laughs) uh, let's see here so we're on sloth so it looks like the virtue that's associated with sloth is diligence persistence effortfulness and ethics ethics itself ethics itself the opposite of sloth is like ethics itself the establishment of like a defined structure in which we should all operate diligence is one of the seven heavenly virtues diligent behavior is indicative of a work ethic a belief that work is good in itself diligence is carefulness and persistent effort or work let's do that in Buddhism the last word of the Buddha the last words of the Buddha were strive on with diligence diligence is an integral part of all Buddhist teaching and is considered the fourth of the paramita a Mahayana Mahayana I cannot pronounce some of these guys I'm sorry tradition diligence is the third paramita paramita uh, I don't have my glasses on either, and I'm having a hard time seeing these. And the first, which is said to lead to liberation, the practice of diligence will bring an increase of qualities. Hmm. In, t- in Christianity, diligence in Christianity is the effort to do one's part while keeping faith and reliance in God. In other words, diligence and faith are two sides of a mystery. One does not know how, despite one's effort, it all works out. But diligence, when combined with faith, assures, assures spiritual success. Diligence as one of seven virtues describes thoroughness, completeness, and persistence of an action, particularly in matters of faith. I love this. Let me, and this is a quote from Hebrews 6.11-12, or 6-11-12. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. So uh, I guess the diligence is almost a diligence to faith. It's, all, it's a diligence, it's a diligence to good work. Right? It's a diligence to work towards the good, even if you see no other examples of it. That's faith, I think. It's, it's regardless of what your situation, still working towards the positive as if it's a, something that is inevitable. Sloth is the opposite of that because it's the lack of moving towards anything. It's allowing things to just devolve. It's allowing entropy to just take place. It's incredibly nihilistic, destructive and evil at its base. This is incredibly divine because you're, work, you're, you're, you're putting yourself outside of yourself. You're almost sacrificing. You're putting yourself in a sacrificial place because you're saying regardless of this, this work could be worth nothing. I'm sacrificing every ounce of my energy to something that has no guarantee. But because of that, I have, every, I have promise of ultimate reward. You, you got to risk it for the biscuit. <laughs> you know what I mean? In Islam, that man can have nothing but what he strives for. That, the fruit of his striving, will soon come in sight. Then will he be rewarded with a reward complete. That's from the Quran. And say unto them, Act, Allah will behold your actions, and so will his messengers and the believers, and you will be brought back to the knower of the invisible and the visible, and he will tell you what ye used to do. So the idea is that you have to act on this faith. You have to act on what your truth is, I think is what this is saying. In all of these religions, you're seeing these in each, each one. And students, Bernard et al. What does that mean, et al.? I don't I forgot. Anyway. Suggests diligence in a student is defined as an effort he or she puts towards balance and holistic development in mental, physical, social, and spiritual dimensions. They find diligence in students is correlated with academic performance. This is especially found in younger students. The support of parents and educators encourages students to be diligent. Other factors which encourage diligence in students include motivation, discipline, concentration, responsibility, and devotedness. So this is the material. Like, this is the modern perspective, right? 
you find this in kind of our in students because it's it's something it's kind of uh, a fundamental idea we try to instill inside of children as they're coming up we kind of it's the modern way is like hard work it's like a work ethic we can try to instill a work ethic in students hard work will give you something there's this promise of a reward if you just continue down the path but it's almost like a it's kind of like a misplaced faith you know what i mean which I think a lot of us, like people my age, people that have been through the college system and have seen how lackluster it really can be sometimes and how much money it can cost you, um, you, you do feel like like kind of it's a, it's a misplaced faith almost. It's like it's it's like abusing faith in, in children or something, <laughs> right? It's like saying, hey, believe in this and then pulling the wool out from under them when they get to the end and being like, oh, haha, everybody's got one of those now too. Or something like that. You know what I mean? Anyway, <laughs> um, let's move on. In, in Hinduism, according to Brian Hatcher, the precepts of Hinduism require a human being to discover and live a dharmic life. To live a dharmic life, one must live with right intention, with diligence, and with concern for well-being of others. The Hindus celebrate Diwali, a festival of lights, where goddess Lakshmi, Lakshmi also called goddess Sri, is worshipped. The goddess symbolizes thorough preparation, being organized, diligent, and honest. These characteristics are considered by Hindus as essential for success and shublab, ethical prophet. Whoso performeth, diligent, content, the work allotted him, whatever it be, lays hold of perfectness. <laughs> uh, that's from the Gita, 1845. Uh, due diligence. Due diligence is the necessary amount of diligence required to professionally, to, in a professional activity to avoid being negligent. So there's also this idea of a certain amount of diligence that's necessary to not be negligent. Oh shit. I just spilled. Anyway, whatever. I got one of those uh, reins. You know what I mean? I love those things. I like to support rain because I don't know if you guys know this. I like I like to tell people this. But um, if you guys watch Game of Thrones, if you're fans of Game of fan of Game of Thrones, if you know the mountain, you know like uh, Cersei's like big like ogre dude that like is all like a zombie. Anyway, the real life guy, uh, his name's I think it's Thor. He calls himself Thor, but I can't remember his real name. Anyway. Um, he, you can look him up. He's everywhere right now. This is his company. Rain is, and uh, you can, if you look at the can, you actually notice it. It's actually like his helmet from Game of Thrones. Uh, you may have not associated that. You may have. I don't know, but I just thought it was fascinating once I saw that. Anyway, uh, moving on. But there's this idea that there's a certain amount of uh, diligence that's necessary, or else you're you're negligent. And negligence, as defined by Wikipedia, is a failure to exercise appropriate and or ethical ruled care expected to be exercised among specified circumstances. The area, so, and this is partially where it is, is like this, this definition, this line, due diligence, is like this is what we operate under, is like everybody assumes that we know individually what due diligence is. Put in your due diligence to whatever work you are doing and you have a good work ethic, right? But the, there's no enforcement of it. There's no way to enforce it. And there's almost no way there ever could be but it's it's part of the problem in in the un like in allowing I don't know. That's what I'm gonna have to chew on. I'm gonna have to chew on. I don't think I have a kernelized thought there. I just find it, it, it fascinating. That you find the same like I've said before, every religion that I've engaged with that I can see has some kernel of truth in it. A lot of times they agree on things and the places where they overlap is something you can be almost be assured is something you should implement in your life. <laughs> you have to think about how old, how much, this is like, this is like cross-referencing all of human history, recorded human history, right? The oldest books we have that are still known and the most valued ones throughout human history, cross-referencing all of them and seeing what aligns and implementing in that in your life. If that's not a smart idea or a logical thing to do, I don't know what is, right? Anyway, be diligent. But to, to be diligent, you have to figure out what you need to be diligent towards, right? Well, if you don't have any kind of like purpose right now, or you don't feel like you have a purpose or a vector, um, you got to find what you're attracted to. You got to follow what you're attracted to. You know, you got to you got to maybe if that's not working, you got to maybe search inside of yourself and what's disjointed, right? Like I was saying before, where you're coming apart at the seams, where you're kind of lashing out at people. If you're acting in negative ways, you're acting in any of these sinful ways. You know, you maybe decompartmentalize that a little bit. Ask yourself, what's going on there? Like, what's going on down deep? And try to unpack it. Because if you unpack that, you'll find some kind of kernel. Like, it'll be like an aha moment. Like, oh, shit, there you go. You know what I mean? And then you'll you'll move on to the next. And if you don't, it's almost like you're, you are compelled to. If you don't, if you don't do that kind of work, and that's the work that hasn't been, 
bit. The spiritual side of this is the work that people have not been doing, I don't think. Right? It's like you got to figure out what's going on with these emotions, where they're coming from, all this like life experience. You know, I think there's also, and this is just my belief, that there's also past life baggage. I think that there are past lives. You may disagree with me. I'm also a Christian, which is a weird thing, right? <laughs> I'm a, I would call myself a member of almost all of these in some way or, for, or form. But the, the faith that I practice regularly is, is, Catholic, is Catholicism because it's the one that resonates with me. It's the one that speaks to me, and it's the metaphors and the figures that I resonate with. So that's the one that I, I, I practice. I think it's important to practice something, to pick one. But maybe it's not. Maybe for you, it's like some kind of, it's maybe something different, you know, something completely different. You never know, but whatever your truth is, right? Uh, but be diligent to whatever that is. If you don't have some kind of practical means, you know, like a job or something to orient it in, you know, um, try to do it in your home. Try to do it with your family. If you don't have, that doesn't work, you know, you can always fall back on these, the religions. They provide you a structure that you can do exactly that in which you can be diligent. If nothing else, you can go to church every week. You can be diligent with that. And that is just the smallest kernel of a start for you to, to, to reach out of whatever darkness you're in. I promise you that. It's very practical. It's much more practical than it's been presented in the past hundred years, right? It's a practical way to get yourself out of shitty scenarios. You can choose what's your, which translation you prefer. It's a Buddhism, Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, uh, Wiccan, some mixture of all of them whatever you want, dude, just figure out whatever it is. And it can even be humanism, right? It could be materialism. It doesn't matter, but you got to figure out how orients. If it is materialism, you also have to figure out kind of, I think the philosophical ramifications and kind of the arguments out of some of these things I've just described. You have to figure out why these are even bad things to begin with. You know, if, if, if morality and all this was just some kind of randomness, no, there's no deeper meaning and there's this nihilistic kind of quality to the universe itself. It's like, well, why does any of this have meaning then? And why should any of us not act in these ways? What you'll inevitably come to is some kind of humanist argument, which is just, like I said before, Christianity, uh, essentially Christianity distilled without the structure. That's it. Anyway. I think that's what I got for you today, guys. Oh, geez. I'm going to like, I'm literally doing double the length I used to do now. So I don't know. Anyway, I did done two hours and two days back to back. That's pretty good. I guess I got a lot to say right now, right? Uh, anyway, I hope you guys are really enjoying these. Um, uh, I hope I'm not too aggressive either. That's, you know, that's one, <laughs> that's one other thing before I let you go. It's one thing I want to make sure I uh, put out with you guys and, you know, almost as like a, for any of my friends that listen. Um, that have conversations with me on not on the podcast like I can be just as aggressive or assertive as I am on this podcast with people you know I have a hard time like reeling myself back right and um, so I hope I'm never in the podcast too assertive with people or you don't take it in the wrong way right like as if I'm telling you from like a th seat of authority because I'm not I'm not an authoritative figure on anything I'm not trying to assert myself as one I'm no different than you you know what I mean um, I'm just a person that's trying to get his ideas out uh, and if they resonate with you, I do think there's meaning behind that. But it doesn't mean I'm an authority on anything. You know what I mean? You're more of an authority on your life than I am. You know? And I think that's a, that's one area that's really easy for... Uh, it's super simple. It's a simple thing for us to do. But all of us do this all the time. We assume that we know other people's perspectives. And we don't. There's no way you can know somebody else's perspective better than they know themselves. Right? And so there's a dangerous assert assertion and audacity in assuming that you do. And... We need to be careful of that, all of us, because we all do that constantly. I do it on this podcast a lot too, kind of assuming or grouping all of you as I talk to you as like a panacea. You know, there's a certain amount of unavoidable. That's a certain part of that's unavoidable as well, right? Because I, I'm not, I can't address anybody specifically in this. So I have to talk as if I'm talking to a, a large group or an audience or panacea. I hope you know that's not intentional. I hope you know that a lot of this is meant to be for, like I said, for me, but also presented to you. And if there is something useful to pick through it and take what works and leave what doesn't, man, because that's what I do with other people. You know, like there's a lot of people out there that influence me, like Jordan Peterson, as you probably put together and uh, Joe Rogan and even some of the comedians like Bill Burr. Right. Um, I really like listening. Uh, like Jocko is fascinating. I love him. Um there's a lot of people, I can't think of them all right now, that I listen to. Uh, Alan Watts is a big one, you know, big influence on me. Um, but none of them I, I consider, like, the, the authority figure on any of those things, you know? Like, they all, and it's weird, what I found is, like, all of those guys, the people that I'm interested in, they have overlaps. Just like 
the religions do. And I, I find like extremely intelligent or in, engaged, at the very least engaged people in the subject they're talking about, if they're overlapping in things, like I want to pay attention to that because something's happening there. That's important, objectively. You know? I think there's some kind of like awakening or revival happening in that sense with these kind of figures. If you listen to them, there's this like thread happening. There's like this idea kernelizing or crystallizing that we need to move on from this old system, this way of doing things, this way of thinking, this rat race mentality. It's an old antiquated system that is not serving the human race or humanity anymore. It needs to go away. But it also can't go away in this like we can't transition or try to transition this thing into some kind of perfect, some kind of a vision of like a new modern perfection with the elimination of suffering. If we go that route, what we'll create is a new hell, right? But we also have the opportunity, I think, to usher in a new world, a new a new age of humanity in which we do live in more comfort and security, but it's in a balance with the suffering that and, 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 dis, and discomfort and, and chaos that lives in the natural world itself. We have a better understanding of that symbiotic relationship and that we implement that and nurture that, similar to the way that old cultures used to nurture that relationship, right? Like we deleted that because we said, oh, they're crazy, they dance around fire, but they had something that they were tapped into. We need to bring that into the modern world. That context needs to be provided for this and it needs to be translated because we don't want to eliminate the materialist worldview as well. There's a reason it's been so dominant, right? There's a value to this way of doing things, but we don't want to have it be a panacea. We don't want to have it overwhelm all of these old perspectives as we'd like to refer to them in the modern day. They're just they're just as relevant. They all relate and where they overlap, there's truth there and we better pay attention to that. Anyway, I'm going to shut up now because I'm just going to keep railing all day. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that. If you did, please like, share, and subscribe. If you know anybody that maybe would benefit from this or would enjoy this podcast, please let them know about it, right? Uh, Like I said, it's nothing huge, but I do want to get it in front of people that could maybe benefit or enjoy the podcast. So if you do know somebody, please like, share, and subscribe. All right? And with that, that is the Unfounded Podcast. Stay safe out there, and I will be talking to you soon. Bye-bye.